Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. This morning, it's my pleasure to have with us on Table Talk, Tony Elenis, President and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant, Hotel and Motel Association, and Ian Tostenson, President and CEO of the BC Restaurant Association. So good morning, gentlemen, and welcome to Table Talk. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to have you here on this crisp, uh, crisp Toronto morning. I don't know what the weather is like out in Vancouver, Ian, but probably sunny and beautiful, no doubt. <laughs> Yeah, it's crisp. It's cold and crisp. Blue sky, but it's cold. Well, for us, it's about zero. Oh, wow. That's surprising. Well, I thought we'd start off today just with a general question about this pandemic and the lockdown that it's forced over the last nine months, uh, partial stages of lockdown throughout the country in different regions. Um, I wonder how, you know, this pandemic has obviously affected all of us in different ways, but I wonder how the lockdown and the ensuing changes that it's uh, that it's kind of fueled have uh, impacted you personally and your and your um, your professional affiliations. So, Tony, maybe uh, if we could start with you on that. Thanks, Rosanna, and thanks for inviting us to, to the podcast. The pandemic came upon society, as you mentioned, and our organization, Norma, so suddenly. Looking back, it's incredible how we adjusted so quickly. It's been said. And nothing happens without the right people. I'm so grateful and thankful for my team members. I can tell you that the gas pedal get the job done went right to the floor, and it continues to do so to this day. We realize we need to be there, and similar to what the industry is going through, it is long hours. It literally is nonstop. I, I have accepted this. We're staying focused, and we're supporting and communicating as required. And for someone uh, like myself that was out of the office and on the road most of the week before COVID, I have now ended up managing and working through a a home-based dashboard approach. And I'm in front of a PC, an iPad, and cell phone every moment of the day, including doing this podcast. So you're always connected is what you're saying, right, Tony? You can always be connected thanks to our friendly technology that's out there today. Wonderful. Ian, from your perspective out west, uh, what has this pandemic done to you and, and your group out there? You know, it's similar to what Tony said. Uh, I am grateful, too, to the team that I have, small team. But, um, you know, I had been through uh, an interesting crisis in my other career in the wine industry where we had a strike for about two weeks. And uh, and I was, when I was leading this company and I learned a lot of things that, um, number one is you need a lot of transparency, you need a lot of good people around you and you have to move quickly and you can't think about things too much because you're in the unknown and that's exactly what we did here. So we, uh, curiously that we heard, I remember someone telling me in January, this because Richmond outside of Vancouver is a highly uh, density uh, with Chinese, Chinese restaurants and Asian people or Asian population. And uh, someone said, you know, the restaurants are closing down in Richmond. I went, eh, that makes sense because they're probably talking to, you know, to their homeland in China and getting a bit scared of the virus there. And then all of a sudden we were shut down, like literally in about another four or five weeks. 
what we did was um, I assembled the team and I said, we have one shot to do this right. Industry is going to be totally relying on us because there's no, they, they just don't know where they're going. And I want to be a team that in a couple of years, we can look behind us and say, you know what? We were there. We were there every, every moment, every, everything. And we made things happen. We uh, will talk about innovation, I suppose later, but um, they committed and nine months into it right now. And I think, you know, I think everybody has been, you know, six. Well, here's what we did. We took our, our Facebook page and said, we are open 24 seven. And that's the way it's been. So we're here. It's been six or seven days a week, nonstop for all of us. And it's, and you know, this is weird. It's exciting. It's exciting to be part of a regeneration of an industry that's in such trouble. And it's a privilege to be in this position to be able to do, to help that. So it's interesting that you say it's exciting because, you know, when you look at everything that it's done, it's obviously, you know, devastated so many areas, but it's a, it's a great approach that even through these troubling times, there are opportunities that I'm sure are surfacing um, that this is allowing you to see in, in, in different ways for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had to change, have either of you had to change your association's operating strategy like almost overnight because um, because of the way you used to do business and now mm-hmm. what, what's happened? How has that changed your strategy for your association? Well, uh, if we look at it, our mission of fostering a, a, a positive business climate has not changed. But in this critical time, our approach is taking a different meaning. The focus is different. We narrowed it down, prioritized our goals and our activities around COVID. That's what the industry has done. We, we, we are part of the industry. And again, I do thank my Dynamite team because they, they're all so supportive and going along with our new strategy. And it's about communicating to our members. Communication is so important from an association such as ours. This has been the focal point right from the start. Start and and, and, and we have dedicated resource sites, uh, unique e-blasts, uh, webinars, regional Zoom calls, and, and using social media. Uh, but it's also about responding to inquiries, many inquiries. The industry wants to hear what's going on. And sometimes they want to just talk to you. They want to talk to you and address their issues, and there's many of them. And of course, you know, it's about government advocacy and concentrating on the relief support that is meaningful to our industry. Of course, we have hotels and restaurants, so we balance the two, but the issues are the same, especially during COVID. And of course, it's collaboration, and there are various stakeholders and many meetings that we've had in order for us to be in synergy in order for us to communicate with them. And, and, and lastly, it, it's about, you know, Ian talked about innovation, but yes, it's about thinking out of the box and trying to find new ways to support industry and also our organization, because we have to look at where is Orma going to be a few years down the road with this severe change in the industry. Ian, how about from your end? Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like Tony and I were collaborating in this and we kind of knew what we were doing. <laughs> so many similar approaches, Tony. Um, what we did, the, the phone call that I got that um, I actually had tears in my eyes was a, was a restaurant and uh, he called and said, um, we're closed. And he said, I don't know what the future is. And he was in tears and he was, but he was worried about not his, his personal future. He was worried about the future of his employees. And I sort of thought that that says it all, what kind of industry we're in here, the hospitality industry. 
and and, and that set a, a particular theme. So we did the same thing. We um, communication uh, became key, but we, I am um, well. We we brought together allied organizations. So uh, Able BC, the Craft Brewers Guild, uh, the Wine Institute, which is something I'd shared years before, and so we put together this this industry team. And then we wrote industry letters. And so the first letter we wrote was to the premier saying, we got to back off a whole bunch of stuff. And this is a crisis that we're in. Here's the size. Interesting. You have to continually remind the government the size of the industry because they sort of go, and they sometimes think that restaurant guys have got a whole bunch of money driving nice cars and that life is great. So uh, we had to continually remind them that's not the case. And then the other thing that we did, um, uh, and I found this really interesting Typically, the industry is kind of fractured and everybody's sort of on their own and competitive. And you ask anybody how their sales are, it's like awesome, doing great. Um, but and we could never get consensus. But we in when uh, we had an opportunity to restart the industry here and we put together a team of 70 restaurants, um, small, big, geographically dispersed. And uh, we did that in 24 hours. We had a Zoom call and the Zoom was pretty you know, fresh in everybody's minds then. And we said, look, we're in this together now. So you are now the, the advisory team and we're going to present you um, ideas and concepts on how to reopen the industry. And we wrote the reopening plan. And this was really key to us. We were the first sector to submit our reopening plan as and, and with the consensus of our industry, which was very powerful. And uh, the premier actually called and said that he appreciated that and wanted to use that as an example for other sectors and how they're going to open up safely. And so in our, in our world here, the premier and Dr. Henry have been cheerleaders for our industry. There's not a, there's not a week that, that goes by where she, Dr. Henry's not saying restaurants have done a great job. They're a safe place to eat out. The same with the premier. The premier actually called again last week to say, I know we've got some restrictions in place right now. I know it's hurting business, but he said, boy, he said, you know, I want you to know every time I get a chance, I talk about restaurants, the great job they did. And that really helped us a lot um, to, to build that consensus and, um, and, and let these incredibly smart entrepreneurs flourish in terms of, you know, taking, taking the strings off them a little bit and let them run their businesses in a way that they've never had to run them before. So it sounds like you have um, cohesiveness there and that people are basically aligned on the same team trying to convey yeah. the same message. Yeah. And then, of course, communication. We, um, you know, every single day in phone calls and Tony's right, people just phone you just because they wanted to talk. Of and they course. wanted assurance that somebody was taking care of something, whether it was wage subsidies or rent programs or uh, a whole bunch of stuff that happened that's really cool on liquor, but I'm sure we'll talk about later. But yeah. It was, um, it's taxing and tiring and you, you become somewhat of a uh, counselor, if mm -hmm. you will. But, um, you know, for Tony and I, you know, it's not like we own a restaurant here. I mean, those people have got everything, their whole life invested in it. And that's why, you know, for us, it's uh, exciting is, a, is, a, is the wrong word, but to have the, I think the privilege to be able to get up and make a difference in their lives because we can, because Tony's organization and ours has the, the reach and frequency and the respect. And that's our job is to make sure that we get this job done. That's great. So over the, the past few months, we've gone through a lot of different phases um, from you know total lockdown to partial lockdown and basically everything in between. Now, as we're kind of moving towards the end of the year, we're going through a second wave and the numbers are growing pretty much across the country. What are your expectations for the end of the year? And how do you think 
2021 is going to shape up um, given the ongoing restrictions that we're facing today? Well, with so much uncertainty, Rosanna, big question. Closing down restaurants, restricting them with punitive regulation, especially during this busiest time of the year. All it does, it leads to an escalation of closures and more job loss. The start of 2021 will be difficult for many. Uh, rest assured that many are contemplating right now between closing or just sort of keeping the door open, thinking they can survive till June, because that's where the news came from with vaccine, maybe. Uh, as we see around the world, these COVID-19 waves are exactly that. They're waves that keep coming back, and this is not good. We expect those that own the building, those that have more cash, and those that are out of the hot zones, and that's Toronto, Peel, the GTA, they'll probably be sustained a, a little bit more, more than the ones that are in the hot zone. And, and sustainment translates to perhaps barely staying open with skeleton stuff and restructuring. The expectations are way down from a financial view. And again, all is uncertain. It's unpredictable. As a medical breakthrough, a vaccine will change the course of this direction. Hopefully, we'll accelerate that. But we don't see recovery perhaps till late 2021, and it will be a painful road to recovery. Okay. Ian, I, I know yeah. BC has gone through a bit of a different situation at various different times. What, what's, what's your take on this? Yeah, I feel sorry for Ontario because um, the. Um, the issue here is uncertainty. I mean, business uncertainty, and now I'll, you know, in, we're into uh, into consumer uncertainty. I'll tell you the reason why in a second. Um, but we have been able to, from the day that we were able to reopen, we've been we've never closed, and that's made a difference. I mean, for restaurants to open, close, open, close, like Tony's having to face right now is just I don't know how you do it because at least our restaurants have some consistency. So there's sort of three areas that they're, they're we're, we're focused on with them. Um, it's been um, we're at you know we're at restricted capacity, so we're we're at about sixty percent capacity more or less. Patios really helped in the summertime, and um, takeout delivery we've gone after it. You're ahead of us on that one, but I've been you know, pounding it for five months here, trying to get these fees down to fifteen percent. The government's going to move on it like they did in Ontario. Uh, and we're also looking at some local companies, I think, that could start to fulfill some of that thing. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, with those sort of three stools, you know, patio, we have winter patios out here, too. We wrote the all the municipalities that said make winter patios, and some people are taking advantage of that. Outside of Vancouver and Victoria, the, um, the business isn't that bad. Some of these restaurants, with, with the wage subsidy now and the rent subsidy, um, they're doing actually quite well. In fact, some guys are doing better now than they were even before. Interesting. So it's not not all doom and gloom. We're of our fifteen thousand restaurants. I think we'll lose probably twenty percent, twenty to thirty percent, and I think we would have lost that anyways. You know, I think the pandemic just accelerated that. Um, we are seeing uh, people now wanting to come into the industry. They're starting to see the opportunity. I think it's going to be June, Tony, the same way as you. Um, in when I think that we're going to get a, a complete resurgence here. People here, I'm sure they are in Ontario. They just want to get out and do things. Stop telling us the rules. We don't want to wear masks anymore. We want to go and just experience things. So I think um, when we get the all clear signal and the vaccinations start to happen, I think it's going to we'll rebound. But it's a smaller industry, but it's a better industry, I think. I think 
you know, what, what, what remains is going to be an industry that's going to be much more agile and much more, you know, they've employed technology along the way. Um, we're going to have a labor shortage like they had before. I mean, all those things are just going to come back at us. Um, but it's going to be a much more, um, uh, it's going to be a much stronger industry, I think, you know, as opposed to what we went into. There are a lot of restaurants in BC that we're just hanging on anyways. So it kind of got rid of maybe the ones that were already on the brink of, of not operating properly. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I feel bad about that, but you know, I, I, I mean, we've, we've had so many people that have approached us and said, we want to get the restaurant business. We said, please don't do it. And <laughs> they don't last very long, you know, because there's more to it than mom's spaghetti recipe, right? Of course. <laughs> so as group, uh, as both of you work for associations, obviously, and your and your goal really is to lobby the government, um, you know, to help the restaurant industry. That's that's a big part of what you do. What have been your biggest request from the government? And I know, obviously, the two provinces operate differently, different premiers. Um, as you said, Ian, you've you've had a better time out BC than we have had in Ontario. But what have been the biggest requests that you have from government um, to deal with this pandemic? So, so Tony, I'll start with you. Obviously, we've had a lot of um, help from the government in various parts of, of this journey, but what would you like to see that perhaps we haven't had? Well, first of all, when the pandemic hit us, we went after in a very rushed job in, in a temporary band-aid solution of deferring. You know, they listened to us, they deferred it till a plan, a concrete plan comes along that, that is more of a, a fixed uh, solution. Rent has been the biggest issue in the restaurant industry for a while. And, and as others across Canada have lobbied federal government, we as well directly, and for support from the provincial and municipal governments, support through uh, Mayor Chory of Toronto, uh, directly with phone calls to Premier Ford and the Minister of Tourism. And, and, and we wanted an improved rent program because the original rent program they put in place was just not working. So we collaborated with other business groups also to put our rent eviction. We, you know, I, I got on the phone and called CFIB, Restaurants Canada, Ontario Chamber of Commerce, and, and, and we were successful. Our Premier Four followed through with that. Uh, back in the spring, we were looking at new revenue opportunities. And as Ian said, you know, we, we looked at the, the, uh, the beverage alcohol with food. That helped immensely, and it's continually helping. Now it's permanent. We looked at expansion of outdoor patios. I would say those are two successes for those that, that were able to take advantage of it. And, and recently, we concentrated on the provincial budget. And, and we looked at decreasing the chronic, what we call chronic expense line. As we realized that once the industry is going to go into recovery, they need to pay less than what they did yesterday. So we're looking at property tax deduction. The government answered it by our reduction in business education tax. We looked at hydro. A property in Ontario, restaurant or hotel, pays 100% more in cost for hydro than the similar property in Quebec. That's just uncalled for, all because of the global adjustment. And the government now is paying 85% of the contracts that make up the global adjustment. The employment health tax threshold exemption went up. That's great for, for small business. And the province committed to implementing a 20% rebate on tourism, hospitality travel, spending in 2021 for Ontarians traveling with Ontario. 
hopefully we'll get there. But this, of course, includes restaurant spending. So all that was answered for us, and we were very pleased with the budget. Of course, our issue is the lockdown areas and the punitive restrictions in order to survive and get there. And I also need to mention that collaboration is very important. Ian touched upon it as well. We joined a, a new national restaurant coalition group. It's called Our Restaurants. It includes the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, Restaurants Canada, large food service and supplier companies. And we drill the advocating for federal issues with synergy from that group. So, Tony, you raise an interesting point, and, and you know, a lot of the uh, support the government has, has given, you know, obviously everybody's thankful for that. But really, realistically, I don't think that support can stop once this is over, you know, at some point, because the recovery period is going to be much longer. Would you be advocating for, you know, continued support through the next however long, a year or two, or, or permanent changes? What do you see on that front? Support needs to continue for those sectors that are hurting the most. And the hospitality industry is in center stage. It's on top of the list. They will need support uh, after the, the vaccine is out there uh, as they are now, period. And they need to look at those uh, areas of the profit and loss statement that government can influence and bring them down. We were not successful in one ask and a very a priority ask for the industry, and that is reducing the beverage alcohol price. I know in British Columbia, they were able to get a temporary 20% reduction. We need that in Ontario. That would translate to about two, three points on the profit line, right at the bottom line for restaurants. And, and we are continually uh, advocating. Okay, Ian, how about in BC? Uh, what, what do you think, um, what have been your requests from government? Um, well, you know, apart from the letter we sent to the uh, premier, we made a bit of a mistake because we, we said deferral and um, <laughs> said, I don't want to defer anything. I don't want to pay anything. Right. And, um, so some of those things uh, that there were provincial matters, I uh, have uh, been been mitigated. Um, so we the first call we made was to licensing branch and said, look, we've got to add liquor to food delivery. That's all we can do right now. Um, and, and that worked, worked well because Dr. Henry was saying stay home. So why would you order your food, but then have to get in your car and go to the liquor store? So, um, and that's become permanent. That's a permanent change now uh, with the government that's got reelected the NDP. So they've made that permanent. Um, we uh, did the whole patio thing, wholesale liquor pricing. We'd been working on that for, well, uh, that's been around for 800 years. I mean, this province is, you know, here too. <laughs> Uh, and our minister said he re recognized it was about a 50 or 60 million dollar hit and he said make it happen and they just declared that to be permanent as well. Uh, so those are great legacies. Um, we, um, you know, it's interesting because so much of this is for the licensed restaurants, but what we did for the, uh, you know, our, our quick service members in Vancouver, they were about to, can you imagine this, put in an environmental fee on single serve um, um, uh, um, single serve packages of 25 cents. So basically um, you go to Tim Hortons, you pay 25 cents for your, you know, extra free coffee. And right. they had all these different procedures and stuff. And so we said, you know what? Uh, there is no capacity. There's no capacity in the business world to be able to do that. You actually expect Tony's restaurant 
to put aside all the mask protocols, all the things we're going through right now. Crazy. People spitting in people's faces and yelling and screaming and, and going and young workers in hospitality. And so, by the way, can you come in Saturday and we'll talk about a new protocol for our deposit on coffee cups? It's just out of context. So um, we we believe in, that, in those sort of things are important for our future, but not now. So we're able to defer a number of things and just get down to the basics. Um, you're right about property taxes, Tony. And thank you, Tony, and the group in Ontario, because we don't do much uh, work at all uh, with the federal government. And I know you have, and I know the reasons we're benefiting from things like uh, the rent program, wage subsidies, because of the great work you did in Ontario. Um, we just don't have, you know, we just don't have the, the collective sort of power, but that's been really helpful. So, um, and then I think that the one that we're, we're trying to find every uh, sort of situation, uh, we're trying to find what, what the opportunity is right now. So the opportunity at our doorstep is on delivery fees and getting them down at 15%. Uh, and that's going to happen in a couple of uh, weeks. And I have a question for you, Tony, about that in a second. Um, and then the other one we did, uh, and this was, we, we approached government at the beginning of this and said, we're going to have a confidence problem here with the general public about going into a, a restaurant during the pandemic. And I remember um, people saying, well, you know, people in restaurants could wear masks. And I thought, that's not going to work. Right. That, how, that's bad. Like you go to a restaurant and wearing a mask. What does that say? Well, now it's commonplace. You know, it's commonplace uh, for all the staff and it's commonplace when you go into a restaurant and people love it. But uh, we developed with the, with the BC government uh, what I call a sticker in the door campaign or, or the confidence app. And um, if a government reg or a business registers its safety plans, um, for both its, its staff and its customers, um, they just simply register that. They go through a portal on our website. They register that. Out comes a, um, uh, a, a QR or a code and a piece of paper they can put in the door. It right. says this is COVID, uh, trained, ready to go. Um, you can take the QR code and you can see the actual plans. And we're just rolling it out now. And so that's, that's helping people. But here's one of the things that we can't control is when Dr. Henry says things like restaurants are safe, but you should only go to a restaurant with your immediate household. That just killed the market in the last two and a half weeks in BC. So we're, we're down about 50% in sales because people go, Oh, what? And then we've been, we've been, we've been trying to uh, figure out what, what exactly does that mean? Because if Tony lives by himself, he could actually have a couple of people over to his house and go to a restaurant. But I live in a house with my family and I'm supposed to be able to eat only with my family and you can't have anybody into your house. So it's it's confusing. So people go, you know what? I'm staying home. It's confusing, pandemic, the numbers are getting kind of worse out here. And that's really, really hurt uh, the industry now. And what we haven't seen yet is a corresponding uptake in delivery and takeout. The market's just kind of gone soft and we're hoping that's sort of the, you know, the November doldrums. Um, but, you know, there's no parties, there's none of the Christmas stuff going on. I mean, curiously though, here in BC, uh, if Tony and I could go to a restaurant with with um, three other people, four other people, and just declare it a business meeting and go. But if it's a personal meeting, no. So the intent here is that Dr. Henry is trying to keep us all away from each other and limit contact. And we completely support that. But it's really confusing for the average person on the street. It's very confusing for for an average person and for the industry. I mean, how can the industry enforce some of those uh, some of those considerations, right? Well, you're right. I mean, uh, there's a rumor going around here that the police are giving people tickets and going to restaurants and saying, "Tony, are you actually living with this person?" I mean, that's yeah, rumor, that's and crazy. It's and, it, and it's not true, but it's happened. And then, you know, of course, um, 
restaurants, it's not their responsibility to figure out who you're living with. That's right. just that's going down the wrong roads. So, Ian, that's the issues that we're living with in Ontario now for money. Exactly. Is it? The messages the government is sending out that brings consumer confidence right down. Yeah, like I, I don't know. We've we we uh, we've asked the question. Please tell us. And now they're saying that it, it is. She's trying to contain it to to household members. And then, um, but then, it, and then she goes. But then, if you have a domestic worker or someone you're sort of close to, they could kind of go with you too. Well, that's where it gets confusing again, right? If yeah. you're going to divorce me, divorce me. Like, don't stop. <laughs> Just like, let's get clear about this. But, uh, anyways. Well, this leads to to the next question. I think it segues well into it. And and basically, that's the whole um, area of the government has basically victimized a lot of restaurants by, you know, they picked on restaurants by saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. And yet certain retail big boxes are doing, you know, very similar things and getting away with it. The message really is one that, you know, is community spread happening in restaurants? And when you look at statistics where they're available, you don't see that correlation. You don't see a huge number of people getting, you know, COVID through the restaurant um, industry. And yet, the way government is treating the industry, it would appear that they are. So there's a mixed message here. And how do you deal with it as the restaurant industry? Uh, I mean, there's not great transparency. And in Ontario, Tony, I think you'll agree, we haven't really seen a lot of statistics that show the community spread is happening in restaurants. Well, any data we see support the positioning that restaurants are not the problem. Without right. That. In a public health chart, I've seen I've seen this recently, and it was uh, it was done in November, all the way from March. There have been over eight thousand deaths from COVID nineteen across Canada. Unfortunately, only two deaths are attributed to originate in restaurants and retail sectors in the whole. And who knows where they really come from? Only twenty eight deaths were from community at large. So this is a public sector problem with well over 99% of all Canadian deaths originating from correction services, the health system, and long-term homes. Long-term homes, right. The private sector is paying for it. And we believe the vast majority of restaurants have controls in place. They want to follow safety protocols for their employees, for their customers. That's the nature of this industry. It's about customer service and recognizing, anticipate customers' asks. It's a sector that has contact tracing, able to allow the health units to follow up and stop community spread, unlike grocery stores. I mean, I have a local grocery store here where I live. I heard of a virus case that happened a week ago. How can they trace the people? But if it happened in a restaurant, they're there and, and it will work, the system works. Again, the typical way for the typical ways for uh, health officials to deal with it is to copy exactly what other jurisdictions are doing. Our voices fall on deaf ears on that, as health officials are, are after limiting gathering, and the restaurants are always on top of the list. And I'm saying, when closing restaurants, private gatherings increase. We just need to look at the high outbreaks in the hot zones of Peel. In Toronto, restaurants have been closed since early October, yet the outbreak numbers continue to increase dramatically. Exactly. And to put this bluntly, this is insulting. 
The vast majority of restaurants want to operate with safety protocols in place and, and, and they want to do it right. It, it, the numbers don't jive because no one has time to think. They just follow what other jurisdictions are doing. There's no innovation in that. So why is this message not getting out to, to government? Why is, I mean, we see this, we see the statistics right. showing that, but they're still not doing anything. What's what's not happening it's here? A good, it's a good question. Top-notch question. First, <laughs> I'll state that this pandemic is new to government. They are learning, and in the most part, as I said, they copy other global actions that are ahead of us right. in fighting this COVID. There is no time to think. There's no time to think through it. And as the cases in Ontario are spiking, the health officials are driving the agenda. You know, the, the politicians might have a good, well intent to support businesses. I do know Premier Ford has, has that. I know other premiers in other provinces that face similar situations do. But this is a burden of health, economic, and even political consequences when the numbers are at the height. And if the health officials' words are not in the direction where the rules would move to, there would be you know, in uncomparable consequences for those that are in it, period. Ian, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, uh, it's it's really confusing. Um, and the issue, I think, what we are seeing is that um, Dr. Henry knows, and Tony's right, the protocols in a restaurant. Well, actually, she she said this at, at um, um, Halloween. She said, if you're gonna if you're considering getting together some people, go to a restaurant. It's safer than your home because your home doesn't have the protocols, and you know, and and it's so true. So she promoted that. And she's sort of backed off that now. Um, she's not saying as, as much because they don't want people going out in crowds. And so we had some situations in Vancouver uh, where the crowds got unruly and uh, it was sort of associated with restaurants and bars and stuff. And so they're sort of saying, well, if Tony goes to a restaurant, has a few drinks, he's going to go outside and get a bunch of people and they're going to go kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. they, um, and in, in a small majority of cases, it is. In in majority of cases, people are respectful, go to a restaurant and, and do it the way they should be doing it. They put the um, the service of alcohol uh, was was curtailed and put in at 10 o'clock, and all drinks have to be now consumed by 11 o'clock. And it's eerily interesting what Tony said. When that happened, we seemed, uh, it didn't have any effect. In fact, our numbers stopped, kept going up. And the theory, one theory could be is that people are saying, well, there's nothing to do now after 10 o'clock, so I'm going to go to Tony's house and bring a case of beer and hang out with Tony. Right. And that's where we're seeing transmissions here have gone uh, in one area of the province have been accelerating, um, big groups of people and people having parties. So it's, it's, it's care homes, it's private parties, but it's not restaurants. And, but the reluctant message from the public health is it would almost be irresponsible to say, look, go to a restaurant and be fine. Because that's now, and they go, well, people in cars and they're driving, they're seeing people. So right. it's a really, it's it, it doesn't make sense from a health point of view, but they should say that. They should say, go to a restaurant, know who you're going with, you know, wear your mask, do your protocols, have a nice dinner and go home. And the majority of people would be happy to hear that, but they don't say it. Because do you think almost... Do you think part of the problem is that restaurants and bars are also getting lumped in together? Um, uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Except, you know, the concept of today is a, is a restaurant that has a bar. 
it's not a bar. When we we, we connotate the word bar, it means a nightclub. That's a, that's a different concept over here. So yeah, he, um, go ahead. Same here too. I mean, we've um, my colleague that runs bars and uh, and nightclubs and uh, pubs. We don't say bar. We will say restaurants and pubs. Um, bar just suggests the wrong things going on. If I go to a bar with Tony, it's like we're doing shooters, we're hanging out, we're having a fun time, and we're it's a much different sort of proposition than going right. to a and to a restaurant. Um, but I think I think it has hurt. You know, when, when they get all lumped in, we've had a couple situations here. We had nightclubs open for a while, and we had some strip clubs open for a while, and that didn't turn out very well, so they completely shut them down. Okay, so. <sighs> Everything that's going on, I mean, when you look at the future of food service, obviously, you know, we're all a bit concerned as to what's going to happen over the next few months and into the next year. How do you expect restaurants of the future to change as a result of COVID-19? Um, I don't think we can be naive to think that, you know, as soon as this is over, everything goes back to normal. Uh, and, or maybe it will, I don't know. But realistically, how do you see the future of this industry changing? Well, uh, my part, I, I see technology play a key role, irrelevant of the food store. Delivery will continue to grow, uh, and, and the service of ghost kitchens will dramatically move up. It's about cheap real estate, it's about a, a low investment, and an appeal of uh, multi-use products. More people would go into ghost kitchens than they would probably go into a restaurant. That's a lot. Uh, and, and Technology will play a key role in, in many ways and forms. Uh, I think cleanliness part will stay, no doubt about it. Uh, when, it when, when we go back to, you know, perhaps a little bit more detailed technology, it, it, it is priority to ensure that a restaurant has presence in the digital world uh, and, and, and transitions over to takeout and delivery if they haven't, because technology is able to make that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but as, as well, they need to look at who's managing the whole thing. No different than hotels where they have revenue management. Restaurants need someone dedicated to be a digital revenue manager and focus on the revenue. And if it's not the manager, then they need to hire somebody within their employment to do that. And realizing it's a tough financial decision for restaurants because of the margins. But a business owner, uh, can hire somebody that can do another job and also handle that task because without that, irrelevant if you have presence in the digital world or not, you're out. Mobile devices, of course, for, for payment options and ordering will stay, definitely. I see us uh, evolving to voice technology society from touch screen type of a society. Uh, I think the the scientists of this world right now work around the clock to come up with with ways and means that the industry transitions to it. And, and, and this is all accelerating an area that industry was moving towards. Uh, but COVID really, really uh, is making it happen. Mm. Ian, how about from your perspective in BC? Yeah. Um... We must live in the same country. We have the same ideas, Tony. This is amazing, huh? I drink uh, olive oil. I'm not I sure use words you. like, uh, t uh, well, first of all, um, I think you're, I don't think we're going back to normal ever. I don't think we're going to see uh, a massive cactus club just packed to the rim 
in its bars and restaurants to people mingling. I think that's over for a long, long time. I think really? there's going to be a trained uh, reluctance for us to get too close. I mean, we've, it's really shocked people. I mean, you know, when I walk down the street and people sort of, they just, they go and to the side of the street, like it's <laughs> like, right. I'm a human. So uh, that whole avoidance thing will take a while to come back. So I think you're going to see restaurants will always have to, will be dealing with a, a touchless world where they can get rid of the touchless things. That's um, digital menus. Um, you're going to see much more space. Some people are now saying they enjoy the space between the six feet between tables. They don't enjoy, they can't table hop, but, um, um, but they're sort of reluctant a little bit to do that even. Delivery for sure, that, that's 100% is going to be, it's almost approaching 50% of our industry out here right now. And, uh, and that's, that's here to stay because there's been so many innovations in how food tra travels to my home. It's almost the experience of a food experience. It's almost now paralleling what I get in the restaurant because there's been so much innovation that way. Robotics, uh, for sure, simplified menus, ghost kitchens, um, and and outdoor spaces. I mean, I think that people, you know, will always, you know, so we'll probably see much more as opposed to just patios in the summer. We're going to see sort of maybe more year-round patios, more utilization of space. Uh, restaurants, the future, I think, will be smaller. These big foot, big footprints, um, they're too vulnerable, uh, as we're seeing in Vancouver right now with no tourists and no office workers massive restaurants are sitting empty so um, whereas the smaller ones uh, are much more efficient so there's going to be a lot of changes for sure driven by technology so we've heard a lot in, in recent months due to this pandemic that the industry is broken in many ways that it's been fractured broken you know it needs to be fixed um you know some people have said you know forget about saving hospitality it needs to be fixed we need to change it do you think that this crisis um, and the chaos of the past year can actually help create maybe a better and healthier industry down the road? Is that a possibility? Um, yeah, you know what? Um, the operators of the, will come out as operators, um, very disciplined, business-orientated uh, operators that know how to operate a business. I mean, it's so, it's so, you know, we're marketing to food, to customers, to all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think what, what we're seeing is um, um, that's going to happen. But what's the big change is going to be government. You know, so many people have their hands in their pocket for taxes and liquor taxes and inspections. And it goes on and on non-profit. So uh, I think what will happen now is the government has to get their hands in their pocket. That's going to be, if they do that, that'll really help the industry right now because they were crushing it from red tape and regulation and taxation. And, um, and I think now that they realize how vulnerable the industry is, they can't go back to their old ways because the industry is going to be so fragile. So you get rid of the ones that can't make it, unfortunately. You get strong operators that know how to drive a profit with smaller menus, real tight, less staff, and less government. And, and less government in the areas that you don't need them and, and more government in the areas you do need them, which is, will be more around the health and safety side of things for the public good. So how much of your membership, Ian, would you estimate would have been closed through the pandemic? Uh, when I say I think, closed, I mean like out of business. Yeah, I, I think of the total industry. That's the other thing we've done is we we, um, we don't have members anymore. We just have the whole industry. So we just said, you know what, if you're in the industry, we, you know, we're, we're there for you. And uh, we got rid of the whole member thing because. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'll see how that works out for us. But, you know, it, 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 we need to have one industry united. And, um, but I say out of the 15,000 restaurants, we're probably 
I would say we're probably off 15 to 20% of those restaurants have not, have not reopened. Okay. Uh, so, and I think, I think, like I said, we could lose a third, we could be down to 10,000 restaurants, but you know what? Um, in many ways we had too many restaurants. I mean, everybody had a restaurant, you know, there'd be four or five restaurants in a block. Yeah. And that wasn't healthy either. Tony, how about from your perspective, do you think this crisis will eventually make for a healthier industry down the road? Uh, I would answer it by saying there are opportunities. Their, their rocket model that we're talking about before COVID, absolutely. I mean, industry has always been fighting fires. Profit margins on the line with that in, in hiring uh, individuals that can fill in the void of those that have opportunities in HR and so on. Much to do with the barges, but much has to do with the lack of a recognized profession for a restaurateur. Much has to do with the destructive practices, those that are read in the media. And much to do with even the tipping system, which really focuses on the profitability section that is fixed. But the focus has been as survivable. The industry right now, is not strategically thinking ahead because we're all down there to help those that need help or buzzing around trying to just keep the doors open. That's a crisis mode right now, unfortunately. Right. Hopefully we'll get there. Okay. Well, as a way to wrap up our conversation today, when you look at the last nine months, hard to believe it's almost been nine months of this, what have been some of your biggest lessons that you've learned through this pandemic? Well, uh, I've always been fond about leadership. I go back to my, my hotel management years. I've always been intrigued with the various styles of leadership. So for me, it's about learning from various individuals and the type of behaviors they display as they react to a crisis that hasn't happened before. Really, the pressure points, uh, watching the different type of competencies and how they are used by various leaders in, in our industry and, and stakeholders, especially. Uh, at other times, to see who panics and who holds their head high and leads the way. It, it's about having strengths in the right area of competency. And again, it's new. Very interesting to watch that, and I'm learning uh, from that. Uh, and, and I think the other part I would say, and it's more philosophical, even though the human race has come a long way with breakthroughs in technology and medicine, even with the capability of landing on the moon and sooner on other planets, we are so small. And we are not immune to catastrophes caused by weather or pandemics. And in this respect, we are no different than those long before us that face the plague or black death. You know, with all our advances as a human race, we're still so vulnerable and can disappear. Uh, we don't need nuclear warfare. And it's very <laughs> philosophical, but it sort of uh, brings you to reality. Very, very well said. Thank you. Oh. Ian, how about from your perspective? Any big uh, Yeah, you? I think you look at yourself every day and um, you ask yourself, uh, humbly, are you providing the leadership that um, that that's needed right now? Because uh, there's so much uh, that these business owners don't know, and they're so up against it. 
and and that that often is hard because um, I and up in some March till yesterday, I think I've done I've been called on to do about three hundred and seventy five different media interviews. And it, 175? Yeah, that's radio, TV, wow. radio, TV. And they just, they come to my house now. We moved our office uh, into my home um, because there's nothing going on downtown. Uh, and when one day we had like three TV stations up front wanting a comment. So, um, so we became the voice, the trusted voice. And what, what we learned through that is complete transparency and honesty. No spin. And it works so well. When you're talking about a pandemic and restaurants and people eating, you can't spin that. And, and nor would I want to. You just have to be straightforward, honest. And, um, and in fact, that when the premier called, and, and I don't get the impression the premier calls me all the time, but he's called twice. And the second time he called, he, he appreciated the communication. He said, it's helping. It's helping us. Uh, you're, you're complimenting the things that we're doing. Um, we don't lobby. We don't play games that way. We're just straightforward. So, so that's been really, really important that the transparency and honesty and, you know, um, um, people trust us. And that's even harder now because the trust factor for us is so high. Um, and our brand was so, so before all of this, the brand, the pandemic has taken this brand to different heights because people went, well, you guys really are something useful. You're not an association just trying to, you know, mm-hmm. having different services and stuff and trying to find your way that you, you truly isn't. And I think that that's set the, our future. Um, I will say that it's difficult to fund these organizations. And we would said to the government, you know, as much as we're helping business, you, you've got to help the good organizations that are there as a pivotal point, like what Tony's doing, because without Tony and without the BCRFA, it would be a mess. There would be no central communication. Right. And so um, we're looking at that. And I think the future looks, when we get through this, the future looks pretty bright. But you got to be there. You don't take Saturdays and Sundays and not be there available. You've always got to be ready to go at a moment's notice. People expect that of you. 24-7 job, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, Ian, because we are, we're talking to government uh, for support in the same way. If we're not supported, we cannot support the industry. And yes, we have opened it up. To any restaurant to be a member of Orma uh, at any time. Good for you. Sort of right across. So we have a lot of synergies, and we even we have not even talked about that. So it's good to hear, uh, and and uh, we just need to move forward. Uh, it needs to be strategic, but the day-to-day stuff is very very important, and and it's about, it's about the people out there. Tony, can I ask you a question uh, on that? I mean, um, the, the the topic of delivery and. Ontario moving it back to 15 or a total of 20% plus a $10 million fine. Did the, uh, the, the companies skip, et cetera, did they fall in line? Uh, they are. Uh, it does not include chains at this point, and we believe it should because an you know, yeah. operator is an independent operator. So we, we are uh, uh, challenging that. Uh, it all started with uh, Councillor Ford, one of the councillors at Toronto City Hall, and his office called me up. And, and he wanted support on that. And, you know, we've talked about this for for months, even before COVID. We feel that the industry is handicapped and, and it's taken to the cleaners, really. Uh, and uh, they made it happen. City of Toronto passed a motion. Uh, Mayor Tory seconded to ask the provincial government to regulate the platform industry. And they have. So right now, it's uh, 
20% uh, would be inclusive of all fees, 15% would be the cap for commission. You know, I, I, it's funny that you left out, they left out chains because the chains are, t- are bearing the brunt. They're, uh, they're accelerating their, um, I mean, we're, some chains that are paying upwards of 30%. Sure, they have bargaining power, but they're also the guys that have the ability to pay as well, too. So um, it's, we're, they're looking at 15% cap here for six months. And, uh, and, I'm, and people say, well, the companies will probably just go into law, lawsuit mode. But I'm glad to see that they're falling in place in Ontario. And it's, uh, and it's only during the lockdown period for those lockdown regions only. Right. Okay. So we, we need a sustainable model. And you and I talked about it. So we are initiating and designing our own platform. And we'll yeah. be out in a couple of months, starting with a test pilot in Toronto. The commission will be at 8.5%. If we can do it, why not some of the bigger players? Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you are a normal member, the commission is around 4%. So we're okay. really excited and thrilled about moving this forward. Well, it's a big marketing challenge um, to, you know, because, you know, Skip and DoorDash, they're constantly advertising order, order, order. Um, but I think positioning ourselves long term, we have the same thing. We have a company that's 10 percent and other companies about 13 percent, both based here. Um, the premiers actually said, like, I'll go out and I'll promote them, you know, with BC companies doing the right thing. And I think because of the urgency of this with rest- restaurants, I think I think they shall have a fairly good chance of surviving. Long term on this one, so it's, we'll taking, it's, it's taking share away, you know, even a small percentage of share, it's money to the operator. Yeah, yeah, it's too bad they didn't move a little earlier on that through the summer when uh, you know, when the weather was also better, but so true. Well, we could be talking about this all day for sure, and, and our time has run out. I, I appreciate that uh, you're both very busy, gentlemen, and, and I don't want to keep you, but I, I wanted to say thank you for taking time. Ian, thank you for making me one of the 375 media interviews you've done in the last little yeah, while. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I don't know how you've done that, but I appreciate your time. I appreciate your energy. And above all, um, we appreciate the leadership that you're both displaying on the provincial fronts to help us through this crisis. So so thank you so much for being here. And um, above all, stay safe over the next few months. And hopefully we'll be out of this. I don't know when, but hopefully soon. Six months. Thanks, Rosanna. Thanks, Tony. Thank you, Rosanna. Take care of you. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.